Hey, welcome to the show today, guys. This is our uh, one year anniversary of the overturning of Roe versus Wade special episode with our dear brother, Pastor James Cadiz of Calvary Chapel Signal Hill in uh, Southern California. And uh, you've been told a lot, especially as a Christian, maybe by your church and friends that, you know, abortion is kind of a political issue. Our church, we're not really political. You know, we kind of, we kind of just preach the gospel and, you know, maybe I vote pro-life at the ballot box, but we don't engage that as a congregation or from our pulpit because that's not really our lane. You know, the, the lane is the Great Commission and, and this is a separate battlefront. Pastor James Cadiz and I go maybe deeper than we ever have before or maybe deeper than you've ever heard anyone go before in terms of the biblical framework for the church's calling, prophetic calling, to actually tear down pagan idols and to build the culture in a way that honors God. And so buckle up, you're in for a treat with one of my favorite brothers, Pastor James Cadiz, talking about reclaiming the church's prophetic calling to tear down pagan idols as we move into the next year in the fight for life with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Pastor James, awesome brother. So so grateful for you, dude. Um, I feel like that we've known each other for like a decade or something, yeah, but it's only been true. like <laughs> three years because of how crazy the culture has been. But uh, you're a bold voice, brother, and <clears throat> so many are riding in your wake. It is a profoundly exceptional call that you have on your life. It's one of these things that I think is a battle that is a very difficult battle to face. It is perhaps one of the hardest swords to swing right now in culture. And the reality of it is, it is so unbelievably obvious how evil this is, yet it has to be spiritual because so many people's eyes are blinded. And one of the contentions that I continue to make about this issue is uh, very much along the lines of something that I read many years back by the late... Francis Schaefer, who basically mm. mentioned the fact that many of the abortions that are taking place right now are taking place as a direct result of Christians giving permission for those things to happen in this country. And uh, right. the darkness that I begin to see continuing to cover is absolutely unbelievable. And perhaps one of the greatest and most egregious problems that exist concerning this issue relates to the fact that pastors who are supposed to be in spiritual leadership continue to propagate the idea somehow that the best way to deal with abortion is by keeping your mouth shut and not saying anything. And wow. it's very difficult for me to understand, bro. I, I have a very hard time uh, getting this one. Uh, James, you, you're, I've told you before, you're, you're, you're a diamond in the rough and, uh, and you know, you, you, you're, you're able to go further, speak clearer, and uh, bring more political and spiritual clarity to the culture war um, than than most pastors I know. And so you understand the spiritual nature of this fight, and you have for some time. But I I, I love you, brother, because you you understand what what we must say at the loudest degree possible, like an Ezekiel trumpeter, yep, 100%. <laughs> war, war, warning the people, which is this. <laughs> um, 
all human conflict is ultimately theological, to quote Cardinal Manning, actually. Uh, I mean, hey, we're Protestants here, right? We think the Catholics got a, a lot of aspects wrong. But, uh, dude, some, we got we to gotta give credit to them. I mean, you talk about leading in the culture war, defending the Imago Dei and the innocent among us. They, most of them have done a lot better than most Protestants. They put us to shame. And, and we need to adopt that heritage. Um, and so I think of... Um, uh, Francis Schaeffer, like you just mentioned, uh, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll quote the line that you were referring to for your viewers, just because it's so powerful, brother. He said, every abortion center ought to have a sign out front that says open with the permission of the church of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's the quote. Um, and, and then he said towards the end of his life, James, this is, <laughs> he said towards the end of his life, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but essentially this is what he said. If the church can't speak up against something, as evil as killing a baby, then the world has the right to ask whether Christ is real. I mean, whoa, bro. Like, because what were we told by our evangelical betters, Pastor James? So, you know, that's the Andy Stanleys, the uh, Tim Keller, bless his soul, um, the the Rick Warrens, um, the Lecrae's, the Phil Vischers, um, the, the, what I, Russell Moore, Ed Stetzer, what I call Big Eva, <laughs> there's yeah. Big Pharma. There's also Big Eva. <laughs> big, James. big evil, wicked men that should quit the ministry. Evil yeah, people right. that represent very evil things. And, uh, it's amazing to me how they're oftentimes quoted, but they are deeply dark and people don't recognize how That's dark right. they are. Uh, but go That's ahead, right. bro. Yo, Cause what did they tell us? Well, what was the kind of the, the the uh, the line from from the gospel coalition big evangelicalism um the the people that are recognized as uh, the christian thought leaders of of american evangelicalism largely the the trumpet call has been something like this for decades now uh disengage from the business of politics um maybe maybe address the sanctity of life uh once a year maybe once a year on sanctity of human life sunday and let the pregnancy center director have five minutes in the foyer with her table, but like, don't talk about public evils. Don't talk about the, the role of the church to be salt and to actually vote with their Bibles open at the ballot box. Uh, don't talk about the fact that in a self-governing Republic where we, the people are the sovereign, therefore we're stewards, we're stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And so Romans 13 is not, would not read the same if Paul was writing that to the American church. Uh, we're, we're not Christians living under Roman tyranny. We're Christians living under a self-governing republic where we're responsible for the direction of the country, whether evil thrives or righteousness thrives. Romans 13 would read differently if Paul was writing that to the American church. But what we were told, capitulate, disengage from this business, because you know what, Pastor James, if you start getting too vocal on issues that the culture defines as political then you're going to compromise your great commission duties, right? Because right. you're you're going to syncretize your gospel with a political ideology. You're going to lose the Christian gospel um, inside a political party. And so the apolitical, I'm neither left nor right attendees of your church on Sunday, the, 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 they're going to tune their ears off to what they might have otherwise received as the gospel message, because they'll be so frustrated with you, quote unquote, getting political, which is right. why Andy Stanley writes this book, Pastor James, right, called Not In It to Win It.
not yeah, in right. it to win it. Yeah, Completely in- abdicate, just focus on the spiritual, the ethereal, but not the like physical world around you and your role to stand for the truth and righteousness therein. So we were told that voting for Trump or get, talking about these issues, what it compromised and harmed our Christian witness. And yet Francis Schaefer was saying the total opposite. He was saying, no, you've gotten the script all wrong. If we can't speak out against and stand against something as evil as killing children, then the world has the right to ask whether Christ is real. Bro, as someone who was raised in the pro-life movement, and and I I think maybe a pro-life leader in that space, James, I got to tell you, there are agnostics and atheists in the pro-life movement who have more cojones for ending abortion and tearing down the high places than most Protestant evangelical pastors in big evangelicalism. And you know what they, you know what they'll say, James, they'll say things like, I don't, these pastors, these Christians, I mean, I'll, I'll work with them. I'll work with the Seth Grubers, you know, and I'll, I'll work with the Charlie Kirks and and abortion and stuff. But you know, I, I don't really have any respect for the church in America. I like, I don't really want to hear your gospel because I thought, hey, I'm an atheist man, but I thought, Christians, that you believed in this thing called the uh, the Imago Dei, the, the image of God, the sanctity of life, and that humans were infinitely valuable because they were created in the image of God. Hey, hey, I mean, I thought, you told me, church, that, that your Savior entered human history in a uterus <laughs> to redeem mankind from their sins. He takes on fetal flesh to identify with you from your most vulnerable stage, the prenatal stage. I mean, hey, you told me that the prenatal the prenatal John the Baptist, who was the voice in the wilderness, had so much humanity and dignity in the womb that he was doing backflips in the uterus when he recognized his savior in Mary's womb. So, so I don't wanna hear your gospel. I don't wanna hear what you have to evangelize to me because you don't even take child sacrifice seriously the tune of a 1 million children being slaughtered in their mother's wombs every year, the same location that your savior entered human history in to redeem mankind from their sins. I guess your gospel isn't that real or authentic if you can't even tear down the high places of child sacrifice. I don't want to hear that gospel. You see, it was actually our silence and abdication on the, these issues that harmed our gospel witness, not the other way around. Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> and, and, and the capitulation by these men to the mechanism that continues to be the driving force for their desire to be acceptance or be accepted by the culture that surrounds them is the single most destructive force that exists right now in the church today. Because what they have chosen to do is they've chosen to allow themselves to create the ideal within their mind and their heart that they can actually become better than literally Christ himself, because Christ himself did not have a grasp on what it means to actually refrain from the political environment or the infrastructure. And they've actually yielded to the idea that the world of people like BLM have given which is rewriting history in order to create a picture that was not accurate. Like, well, Jesus did not engage in political matters. Excuse me for just one second, but perhaps the greatest and most effective politicians that existed within the time were the Sanhedrin and the scribes and the Pharisees that they continued to speak to, that he continued to rebuke on a regular basis. And let's just drop that for a second. How about this? How about I can't name a single prophet in the Bible, maybe with the exception of Enoch, maybe. And the only reason why I say Enoch is because we don't know enough about him in the Bible, right? But I can't think of a single prophet in the 
Bible that did not interact heavily with politicians. As a matter of fact, Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest prophet that ever lived, the greatest prophet who was executed by a political leader for speaking against the political leader's moral failure. So to be able to say that for whatever reason, that kind of an idea is something that's actually wise you are listening wow. to a literal heretic. You're listening to a man that needs to quit the ministry when he's telling people lies like this. And the lies are easy. And right now, look, I tell you, you mentioned Tim Keller. There's this new thing where people are just wanting to beat us up for talking about Tim Keller now that Tim Keller is not living on this earth anymore. But Tim Keller was responsible for the propagation of a movement that allowed and welcomed the destruction of human life in this country under no consideration of any consequence associated with the destruction of values given to us in the Bible. And that is perhaps yep. the most uh, demeaning thing. L look at this. Uh, I, just If people think that I'm lying or they think that I'm crazy, when Tim Keller put this out at a church leader's podcast— I immediately contacted, uh, attempted to contact the people that were responsible for this only to be ignored, and then I exposed it. And when I did, people tried to beat me up like you cannot even believe. They lost their minds when I actually did this. And you have to understand what he's saying here. I want people to pay attention to what Tim says in portions of this podcast. This is really important. And and I'm going to respond to this, and Seth, I want you to respond to this, because when he begins to minimize and even make evil look, make people look evil who actually are trying to defend the truth, it's mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling to consider where things have gone today. Within a few years of the time that this guy said this evil. Listen to this for just a second. This is heavy stuff. Take a listen. I would say for the last 20 years, the Christian right, though I usually would agree with their positions, I'm pro-life. You know, in other words, I, I, you know, that did not, I still don't think that same-sex marriage is a good idea for, for the country or people. Um, so, so I would technically be in, you know, agreeing with them, but you know how they raised their money for, for 20 years, they sent out letters talking about how you've got to send us money because the the, the, the gay people are going to try to come and take your children away and because they're evil and because uh and because uh you know the democrats and the left are going to destroy your religious liberty they just they just said awful things and vilified people it's one of the reasons why so many gay activists now just don't want to forgive evangelicals because when they were had a little more power in the 80s and 90s that's how they raised their money that's how they got people out and weirdly enough that's not the christian way at all he's a liar hmm. He's a liar. By the way, when they said what they said, they were dead right. And 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 I and I will tell you this, just just for people to understand where he's going when he says this. If you really want evidence of the fact that Tim Keller is completely wrong and he absolutely has no understanding or idea of what he's actually talking about, you ought to take a look at a video like this. And and I'm just warning you. Okay, this is a type of video that ends up angering people when they see it, but it is a perfect demonstration of how wrong Tim Keller is. He says they're claiming that these people are going to come after your children and no such thing is going to happen and so on and so forth. Really? Yeah. Tell me what you think about this. 
As we celebrate pride on the progress we've made over these past years, there's still work to be done. So to those of you out there who are still working against equal rights, we have a message for you. You think we're sinful? You fight against our rights? You say we all lead lives you can't respect? But you're just frightened? You think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked? Funny, just this once, you're correct. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. They're not going to come after our children, huh, Tim Keller? It's not worthy wow. of something for us to be standing for because it's a form of manipulation to raise money. I actually wow. think they were raising money on the premise of truth. Yep. And because men like this have advocated or walked away from their responsibility of speaking truth, including, matter of fact, Tim Keller, near the end of his ministry, actually said, I'm joining the Democratic Party because they have a better way of handling all of this stuff. He made that clear. So to tell me that you're apolitical and doing that kind of thing is, uh, is absolutely ridiculous. You're more political than you ever thought possible in making statements like this. And he's not alone. There's many, many other pastors that think this way, act this way, talk this way, walk this way. I mean, give me a break. There's a study that he, re that he had recently done in the last couple of years where he actually called a car dealership. In the United States, the way cars are sold in the United States is a function of white imperialism. Wow. So you mean you're going to be a champion of black lives, yet you're going to condemn people who choose to stand against the elimination of black lives through something like abortion. There's a problem here. There's a real That's problem. Right. That's right. So, and, and Pastor James, uh, Tim Keller has publicly shared for a long time that he's a registered Democrat. Yeah. Um, and and votes for for pro-abortion candidates and so um at the end of the day what what this represents and i think you were hitting the nail on the head is is it represents a massive theological and biblical blind spot um they're either uh completely deceived or they know that they're wrong but it's the spirit of lot so they'll speak just as much truth as the spirit of the age allows them to lest they lose their 501c3 statuses or the tithes from the registered Democrats who are congregants in their church. Yep. Um, and so it's no different than in Genesis when, when the mob and the culture of death that wants to sleep with angels, James, comes to Lot's house. And Lot is called a righteous man. He's called a righteous man. And they come to his house and they say, Lot, bring those men out that we might have sex with them. I mean, gee, you see why God wanted to torch Sodom now? I mean, it's like they want to bang angels. Okay, guys, are you clear on that? Okay. And Lot walks out on his front porch, and he, he, he actually calls their actions wicked, just like Andy Stanley and Ed Stetzer and Rick Warren and Tim Keller will actually say that abortion is wrong. They will critique, James, let's be clear, they will critique the culture of death to a certain extent, to a certain extent, but they won't go the full way, brother. And so just like Lot, he goes, he, what does he say in Genesis? He goes, brothers and sisters. So he calls the men who want to sleep with angels, brothers and sisters, yep. to which I've always wanted to say, James, I've always said, Lot, stop trying to get crumbs from the table of secular humanism. Stop yep. trying to get seal claps yep. and attaboys 
from people who want to sleep with your daughters. So he goes, he goes, hey, brothers and sisters. So he tries to relate to the culture of death. He said, but then he, what does he say? Do not do this wicked or abominable thing. So he calls their would-be actions wicked. But then when the trumpet sounded, when it was time for you as a man, as a father, and as a spiritual leader to put flesh to your faith and to defend your own daughters and the least amongst you, you say, here are my daughters. Have sex with them instead. That's the spirit of Lot, brother. And that's the spirit that has unfortunately dominated and controlled the rudder of big evangelicalism in America today. So I, I want to I talk about this really quick with you, brother. This was on my heart because I, I, one, of my, one of my heroes and, and, uh, and brothers, a new friend of mine, Dr. George Grant um, in Franklin, Tennessee, who, who wrote at one time the, most, the best-selling book in the pro-life um, category. It's called Grand Illusions. The Legacy of Planned Parenthood. He published it in 1988 or 89. He republished it in 92 when I was one year old. Um, and he makes a powerful point here, brother. And I just want to bring this kind of biblical clarity because I think I think it'll bless your listeners and the Christians listening. Think about this, okay? In in first and second Kings, right, James? Um, Asa was a yeah. good king who ruled over the kingdom of Judah for 41 years. And first King says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the steps of David, his father. He instituted a number of, of crucial reforms, including the removal of male cult prostitutes and actually James, the destruction of Asherah images. But despite all the good he did, brother, he is remembered most for what he did not do. The final epitaph, was simply that he had failed to remove the high places. High places yep. He was good, brother, he was moral, but he just didn't go far enough. Asa's son, Jehoshaphat, was also a good king. He, he reigned in Jerusalem for 25 years, and it says, doing right in the sight of the Lord. Wow, he too instituted important reforms. But like his father, he just did not go far enough. And so his final epitaph is the high places were not taken away and the people still sacrificed there. Similarly, uh, Jehoash was a good and moral king. He reigned in Jerusalem for 40 years and he, quote, did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But he did not go far enough. And his final epitaph is the high places were not taken away. Amaziah was a good and moral king for 29 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And yet the high places were not taken away. He simply did not go far enough. Azariah, the son of Amaziah, reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. Like his father, 2 King says, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But he is remembered with the epitaph, the high places were not taken away. And Jotham was another of the good kings of Judah. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Sadly, though, 2 Kings 15 says the high places were not taken away. Each of these kings, brother, ultimately failed despite their good works and good intentions because they did not utterly destroy the idols of the land. And bit by bit, the idolatry eroded their culture until one day it was completely destroyed. Each of these kings failed to serve their society as prophets and priests, guiding and guarding the land. And so as Dr. Grant says, may we not make the same terrible mistake. May we stir up within ourselves courage to remove all the high places and to destroy all the idols of the land. 
There is no such thing, Pastor James, as moral or spiritual neutrality. If you take the middle way and you stand in the middle of the road, you will get run over by a truck. The culture can call us Christian nationalists and Christo-fascists who are trying to reinstitute a theocracy. But the reality, brother, is that there is only one theocracy in America today. It's the theocracy of the religion of humanism the only state religion that's acceptable in the halls of power today. And so I want to finish this thought with uh, with Herbert Schlossberg, who, whose book, Idols for Destruction, I would recommend to any Christian today in our culture war in 2023. And, and he, he drives this point home that I'm trying to make right now, brother, which is that all human conflict is ultimately theological. The atheist cannot get away from this. And here's, here's what Herbert Schlossberg in his book, Idols for Destruction, says. He says, bloodthirsty gods produce bloodthirsty people. Yep. If someone thinks that chance and randomness rules the universe, his actions are likely to appear random. If people increasingly think that malevolence rules, we can expect more human sacrifice. If there is a decline, this is, dude, this is, okay. If there is a decline in the number of people who believe that God is love, we can expect fewer people who think that actions of love are moral imperatives. For any individual or society, therefore, the religious questions are the ultimate ones that govern human conduct. Yep. Yeah, bro. And here's one, here's one detail that goes along all of the lines of the things that you talked about. And Dr. Grant, when he wrote those things, one thing he may have not mentioned, and I don't know because I haven't read his book, but there's one very important fact that has to be stipulated to. And the one king that did take down the high places was a king by the name of Yoshiach. He was an eight-year-old king when he started his rule. You think about that for one second, and here's something, here's something that should be noted It's because it's critical. Like, it's very critical to note this. He was an eight-year-old king. His real stand that he took against wickedness was right around 16 to 20 years old under the leadership of Yirmiha, Jeremiah. And one of the things that should be noted, particularly about this very fact, because it's not noted by a lot of people, right, is it's amazing to think about the fact that one of the, not one of, the youngest king in the southern kingdom's history of its existence was the one that actually led the movement and the cause to destroy the high places, to come against all these things where sexual idolatry was taking place. And there's one fact that's observable here. And this goes back to the pro-life movement that I've never heard anybody talk about. Nobody has ever talked about it, but it's something that I think is worthwhile mentioning. And that is a fact that Josiah, as a young man, was used by God to destroy all of those things that were being used to commit not only the fornication and the idolatry that went with that, but the sacrifice of babies that oftentimes That's accompanied right. that in the high places. But here's the thing that I'll, here's one variable that a lot of people don't provide enough analysis for, and they don't really think about. And that is the fact that Josiah was used by God as a young man to do all of these things, which is a great explanation for why the enemy is seeking to target and destroy the youth. 
He's wow. seeking to destroy babies because he knows it is the youngest of these children that have the greatest potential to be used by God because the younger they are, the, the closer they are by default to God or the more open that they are because they're not being constrained by the sociological issues that oftentimes create the mechanisms of blocking to keep them from being able to stand up and not be concerned about the things around them. And that's wow. why that's why babies are targeted by the enemy. Wow. And by the way, okay. if you think about it, that's why the elderly are being targeted. The reason right. why the elderly are being targeted is because they've lived their lives long enough to understand the difference between right and wrong. They've seen certain aspects of society play out, and they are the ones that God has called to sit at the gates. The enemy doesn't want them sitting at the gates. The enemy wants them destroyed. So this is why euthanasia in uh, elderly is a very popular thing right now, and this is why abortion is a big thing. Because if yep. you can eliminate those two populations— you create another dynamic that's really important, and that is the middle-aged class group of people. If you don't have the older people around to keep them accountable, they continue to run amok without any level of accountability that exists. And because of that, the rod is spared. They continue to seek out evilness. They, they continue to desire to walk in the flesh. But here's another big picture, and this one's very important. When you remove the desire from within that age group— to actually defend children, you own them. Hmm. That's why you have drag queens going in the libraries and elementary schools. That's why kids are being groomed in health class. That's why all of those things are going on because these neo-Malthusian, absolutely wicked, moronic, foolish people who are seeking to destroy human life are doing it as a result of a function that Satan has inspired them to take because Satan is way more sophisticated than they ever will be and their capitulation and yielding to the mindset and the heart and the intent of Satan in his effort to destroy mankind involves the dispersion of God's word. It, it involves the lying and the cheating and the stealing and all of that happens successfully if a parent loses their motivation to defend their child. So wow. this is why the targeting that's is right. going on in the youth. It's a spiritual issue. It's very hard that's for right. people to discern, but that's the truth. Right. Wow. And it's something that people don't mention. Pastor James, man, I, I uh, you know what, what we got to do now, right? Is uh, I just got to start sending you to preach in all the churches that I can't make. <laughs> that, 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 that message right there, dude. Oh my gosh, that dog will hunt. I had forgotten about that. Thank you for saying that, dude. Because in Second Chronicles 34, Josiah, who you're talking about. So let's do the math. That's so powerful. He, he ascends the throne at eight years old. And then it says in Second Chronicles, at, at 12 years into his reign as king, uh, he he began to destroy the high places, the Asherah poles and idols that were carved. Yep. Uh, he broke down the altars for the Baal gods. He cut down the incense altar. So so uh, so what's eight plus twelve? Is that twenty one? Yeah. Um, so 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 he, well, 20. he tw yeah. yeah 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 at twenty years old uh, he he's doing more to protect babies, the children, and family than any of the kings before him who were much older. Uh, it, and it's just such a powerful word and it's really encouraging to me too. Like, I, I don't want to like, I, I'm not looking for ways to like pat my, my own back, but like, bro, like when I went after Ed Stetzer and, and kind of started exposing a lot of his wicked deeds that he's done to further the agenda of the Neo-Malthusians like Francis Collins at the NIH yeah. and some he's of his He's a satanically deeds. inspired man. I'm telling oh, you, absolutely. Ed Stetzer is satanically inspired. And, and I won't go into that all right now. It would take too long to do with you right now, brother. But if you guys go to my Instagram, Seth Gruber Official, 
and you scroll down, there's a two different uh, carousel posts we've done, part one and part two on Stetzer and his whole record, but his relationship with helping further the agenda and platforming as a Christian brother, he called him, James, as a Christian brother, he called him, Francis uh, Collins, is wicked, disgusting, evil. And Stetzer's not apologized for any of it. He's not repented and he's not publicly acknowledged any of this stuff. But when I started doing that, dude, I started, I've had broken relationships now of, oh, of yeah. men I thought I respected, that I, I thought I, I thought I trusted, I thought were courageous men. Um, and, and dude, and so someone sent me this and it just really encouraged me. Charles Spurgeon once said that bold-hearted men are always called mean-spirited by cowards. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> such a true statement. Right? Uh, James, you're not being very winsome. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're not being very <laughs> um, strategic right now. Oh, yeah. And the way you phrase that phrase, the, the, the phraseology you used in that statement you just made, that wasn't very Christian-like. It's oh, yeah. like it's the 11th commandment, be nice. But you've yep. got a 20-year-old king who's like chopping up Asherah poles and pulling it all down. Like like Gideon, remember when he's in Judges 6, when he's hiding in a cave and God calls him out of the cave and he says, you go tear down the Asherah poles and the Baal. Yep. And then the next morning, the people wake up in Judges 6, James, they're like, who tore down our idols? Yep. And then they go to Joash, I think, Gideon's dad. And they say, they say Joash, your son Gideon did this. Bring him out so we can kill him. And Joash, like a godly polemicist <laughs> and satiricist, says, let Baal contend for himself. <laughs> it's Brilliant. like Elijah, right, where he says, like, Elijah tells the prophets of Baal, where is your God? Is he having a bowel movement? Is he got some tummy problems? Is he on the toilet? Uh, but if you do that today and you're bold spirit, you're bold hearted, you're just called mean spirited. Right. Yep. And, and so this is the moment we're in right now. And, and it reminds me of Abraham Kuyper, the Dutch theologian um, who, bro, like, gosh, if I could assign mandatory reading, if there were like if there was some mandatory reading I could assign to American pastors, Abraham Kuyper would be one of them. And here's what he said, bro. He said, in any successful attack on freedom, the state can only be an accomplice hmm. because the chief culprit. Listen to this, brother. The chief culprit is the citizen who forgets his duty, who wastes away his strength in the sleep of sin and sensual pleasure, yep. and, so, and so loses the power of his own initiative. So Abraham Kuyper, in two sentences, connects some of the most powerful themes that we're seeing at work in the American culture war right now, which is one, the role of the individual to stay evil in tyranny. And secondly, how the left has used sex to attack the family and the culture. Because what does Kuiper say? He, he, the citizen wastes, wastes away his strength in the sleep of sin and sensual pleasure. Pastor James, I got to tell you, brother, the left understands how powerful of a driver sex is more than most conservatives and Christians. This is why they've always pushed the kooky pornographic sex ed in the schools through comprehensive sexuality education, which True. by the way, was kind of manufactured by the World Health Organization, IPPF, that's the International Planned Parenthood Federation, and SICUS, right. the Sexuality yep. Information Education Council of the United States, started in 1964 by Planned Parenthood's medical director, Mary Calderon. We seed money from Hugh Hefner, 
and with a board member named Wardell Pomeroy, who sat on the board of Penthouse. And Wardell Pomeroy went on later to be the executive director of the Kinsey Institute at Indiana University. And Wardell Pomeroy was described as part of the pro-incest lobby and once wrote a 1977 article about incest where he said incest can actually be a comforting and rich emotional experience. Mm. That's that's one of the James, that's one of the first board members of CECAS, um, the, the group at the helm of and for and really the, the, the leader of what today is bringing all the mommies and daddies and papa bears and mama bears to school board meetings. That's that. So anyway, I gave you a little a tiny little primer on that. But what was the goal of the modern left, James? Sexualize everything. Yep. Sexualize children. Like Sikis said in their in their study guides, two years after they were founded in 1966, they said in their early study guides, which was kind of the beginning of sensitivity training, they said uh, children are, are sexual from birth, um, and and we're and we're born and we're all born sexual from birth. Uh, you, and, and then you had um, yeah, uh, was, was a you had well, yeah. Then you had um. Uh, Lester Kirkendall, who oh, later yeah. le led, led the American Humanist Association. He was the executive director of the American Humanist Association. And he was one of the founders, James, of CECAS with Mary Calderon. He was one of the That's founders, right. actually, yep. the founding members. And 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 he would say in some of the, the early CECAS study guides um, that, that, that scientists have affirmed the strong sexuality of the newborn. So like yeah. seeing a lot of these stories come out recently of, of some of these like kooky leftists who were saying things about the sexuality of children. Like there was this Planned Parenthood of New Jersey sex education leader um, at the end of 2022 who got in hot water for his statements in 2015 about the sexuality of children. Um, there, there was recently a, a great piece on another Planned Parenthood worker um, talking about uh, how children are sexual from birth and they get in all this hot water and everyone like gets really pissed that they make these statements. But bro, that's nothing new. That goes back a long, 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 long time. And so my point is this, if you can sexualize children, if you can expose them to any and all forms of sexual behavior, even the most dangerous, if you can incite children to a sexual frenzy, um, they won't be able to govern themselves anymore. And they're they're more easily to be manipulated and 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 sort of navigated into the cultural Marxist revolutionary lanes that the the deep state wants them to be in to be their apostles and disciples to usher in the culture of death because if you can destroy a child's innocence before they understand what's happening to them uh, you'll really own them forever so we yep. see that going all the way back though to Judges six to Second Chronicles and God saying no tear down the Asherah poles, the goddess of sex, tear yeah. down the child sacrifice thing. Cause it was the same gods then as it is today, the God yep. of sex and the God of child sacrifice. Yep. And I anyway. want to add something to this because this is really important, right? Uh, I, I will just simply say this, everything you're saying about the, the child exploitation, all of that is correct. But I will make this one statement before I kind of fill in the blanks on this. But I actually believe that pastors should actually be the best political analysis alive. I actually think pastors should be smarter than some of the smartest political analysis that I know. They should be they should be smarter in this arena than men like Charlie Kirk, who, in my opinion, is one of the most brilliant of them alive right now. But I can just tell you this right now, and I give you an example of why I say this. The Bible gives us incredible insight upon political infrastructures becoming affected by satanic intent. When I talk about leftists, I stop calling them loony leftists anymore. I actually call them demonically inspired or infiltrated leftists. And here's the reason why I do that, right? Here's, here's one story to consider. The removal of the high places. Okay, 
Let's just do political analysis on that move by Josiah alone. All right. Let's just talk about why he did that. Forget the, the fact that he was pleasing God and he did what was right in God's eyes. And clearly that is something that is pure. I mean, so important, right? It has to be the single grace, the single greatest motivational factor associated with why you make the decisions you make as a, a world leader, political leader, spiritual leader, whatever you want to call it. But you have to go back to the breaking up of the nation of Israel. And the reason why I use Israel as an example is because the Bible tells us that God establishing his covenant with Israel would be an example to the rest of the world for everything else, for how politics should be run, for how uh, everything you can think of. So when you analyze what happens with Israel, it gives you insight into every kind of political infrastructure that you can think about, and it gives you good insight into the way the enemy infiltrates mankind in order to affect politics to bring forth some of his own values. Here's a great example of this, right? When you look at the splitting of the nation between what happened when Solomon, Solomon was the last king. Actually, that's not true. Rehoboam was the last king to actually rule Israel as a unified nation, right? You had David, you had Solomon, and then you had Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the last king. Rehoboam gets confronted by a person by the name of Jeroboam, who is leading a group of rebels in the north, who basically, rep he's, re he's representing 10 tribes, and he says, listen, you guys are too hard on us. Don't do the, you know, loosen up. Your dad was so tough. Anyway, to make a long story short, Rehoboam was patently unwise. He was completely stupid in the way that he handled the whole situation. He didn't listen to the advisors that advised the wisest king that ever lived on the face of the earth. And in essence, he got crazy, doubled down with Jeroboam, and the nation split. You had the 10 tribes of the north who split away from the two tribes to the south. Now, this is a thing that's really important. Well, actually, you could technically say three three tribes because when you start looking at Aaron and everything that happened over there, the Levites, uh, it's kind of a different thing with the Kohathites, but it doesn't matter. You had a northern kingdom, you had a southern kingdom. There was not a single righteous king that ever ruled in the northern kingdom. As a matter of fact, the Bible mentions the Chronicles of the kings of Israel, which we do not have a book that chronicles that. It's missing. There is a Chronicles of the Kings of Judah, which is First and Second Chronicles as we know it. Now, with all of that said, here's the mm. thing that's vital and critical to understand about Jeroboam. As wicked and as demonic of a man that Jeroboam was, he was a political genius. Now, let me tell you why he was a political genius. Because as the ruler of the northern kingdom in the midst of a civil war, he recognized something extraordinarily vital. He mm. recognized that people would recognize their obligation to worship God, and they would make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem at least three times a year in order to worship in the temple. That's right. He knew, he knew the problem of that. Wow. So he knew that if they went down there to go do that, then he would lose yeah, yeah. them because their allegiance to the this nation would yeah. be erected or resurrected because their knowledge of God and awareness of God would change their patriotism would make wow. them care That's, about the yep. nation of Israel. Keep going, so keep going. He, Whoa. So he created all of the high places in the hills roundabout in the northern kingdom so that when people looked up, they said, oh, I can go and I can actually worship over there and it'll be the same thing. But he knew something critical that Margaret Sanger knew, that lots of other people knew because they were all inspired by the same person and that's Satan. 
He knew that if these people were given this place to worship in the high places, and by the way, the reason why they're called the high places is because these places were erected in the highest point of the city. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. The one legitimate temple that was erected in Jerusalem was not actually erected in the highest point of the city. It was actually erected in the slightly second to the highest place. The place, the highest point in the city was the place where Christ was actually crucified. So it's very interesting how Jesus called himself a temple that would be erected and destroyed only to be Awaken again. That's a whole other issue. You get that lesson when you go and you learn the geography of Israel. But let me just simply say this. The high places were created as points of convenience. People would look at the hills and they would say, oh, look at that. That's a place that I can go worship. It's a drive-through worship place. But here's the problem that Jeroboam recognized, just like Margaret Sanger and everybody else. He recognized the fact that there was no way he could get those people to go to those high places and worship unless there was a familiar element associated with it. So what did he do? He enlisted priests. Remember, the priests priests only had an obligation to work at the temple two weeks out of the year, typically. So all of those other times, hey, you want to make some extra money? Hey, you want to get something done? You want some recognition? You want this? Go to the high place and become the priest over there. Now, when people recognized familiar men who were priests called by God from the tribe of Levi to actually go to the high places, they went there, and guess what? You got them. That's the way it worked. By the way, this is the reason why men like Hitler were so successful at what they did, because Hitler, who he himself was inspired by Margaret Sanger, knew, I'm going to do my job. We'll let the pastors do their job. If the pastors in the Third Reich actually stood up and chose not to go to the high places and lead right. the people to the, under the false premise of worshiping a false god— we would have never seen happen what happened. So the problem that we have here with men like Tim Keller and Ed Stetzer and Broderson and all these other men, they are leading the people of God in the high places, beginning to create the illusion that everything is okay on altars like George Floyd and everybody wow. else, only to realize one very simple thing. They are being used by Satan in the same way Satan used everything else. It started with the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, what did he do? He casted dispersion upon the word of God. He told Eve, did God really say this? And if God did say this, it isn't because of this reason. It's because of this. That's exactly how all of this happened. And when you dedicate yourself to not compartmentalizing your worldview from the political infrastructures that exist in the world, you'll be able to identify the spiritual patterns that exist within them, and then you'll make more informed decisions about how you deal with the problem. And this is why we have abortion in our country. This is why Neil Malthusian ideals work in the way it is. And this is why I'm so aggressively passionate about why all of this thing happens, because I'm inspired by what I know the word of God tells me concerning these issues. That's right. That's right. It was a myth, Pastor James. It was a myth. Completely. And, and dude, I don't think I, I've, I've only heard one other person uh, connecting what you did, and that was Dr. George Grant. I, I've not heard a single pastor in my life uh, go to the theological, historical, and cultural depths you just did. So I want to piggyback on that just for one second. And Please. like you guys listening, like obviously you're listening to Pastor James because you understand he's a son of Issachar, but like, like the the depths of which that Pastor James is thinking is profound. It's beautiful. Uh, uh, here's what Dr. George Grant says: uh, Jeroboam instituted um, a false feast at a false shrine attended by false priests. Before false gods. And he did all of this on a false pretense. But his lies succeeded in swaying the people. Jeroboam's mythology sanctified a whole new set 
of social patterns. What would have been unthinkable before, idolatry, apostasy, and travesty became almost overnight not only thinkable or acceptable, but conventional and habitual. As a result, the new king was able to manipulate and control his subjects. So Dr. Grant says, the powerful, the would-be powerful, and the wish they were powerful have always relied on such tactics. Most of the myth makers never actually believed in the gods upon Olympus or across the river Styx or within the Kremlin palace. But as high priests of deceit, brother, they used the lies to dominate the hearts and minds and lives of the masses. Because as J.I. Packer says, uh, Pastor James, myths are stories made up to sanctify social patterns. That's right. They are they are lies carefully designed to reinforce a particular philosophy or morality within a culture. They are instruments of manipulation and control. Uh, I've I have only heard Dr. Grant uh, go to the depths that you just did, and brother, that was profound. What a powerful word for the church to understand that that what there is nothing new under the sun. What we're watching unfold right now over the last several years, and one could argue for many decades, of the apathetic, syncretistic men without chess that are our would-be evangelical betters are simply the Jeroboams of our day. Yep. And I I will take it a step further, and I'm not popular for saying this, but I would actually say that an overwhelming majority of these men that are taking on the roles of Jeroboam um, are actually being so demonically inspired to the point that they're not simply doing this without knowledge of the fact of what they're doing. They are doing it purposefully and with intent under direct satanic inspiration because they have, in effect, sold their souls to the devil. They are willing to make an exchange for a profit in the name of the death of the future. And that's exactly wow. what's going on. It is not, this is not something that is void of intent. There is remarkable intent involved in all of this. Yeah. Because if you, like, for example, wow. if you would look at somebody like Andy Stanley and you would say, well, Andy Stanley is just misinformed and he's ignorant. No, he's not. He was raised in the ways of the Lord under a man who was brilliant that, in the word of God. That's right. He that's had right. he has always had direct knowledge of the truth and nobody can deceive at the level that he deceives just like John Piper in many respects. Nobody can deceive at the level that they deceive like that unless they are so familiar with the word of God that they are capable of manipulating it to a level that rises to that of satanic intent. The wow, devil, the right. devil, put that on full display when you anal when you uh, analyze it with what he did with Christ in the in the wilderness. If wow. you look at the way he tempted Christ and the dispersionary mechanism that he used to cast upon the word of God, even to the creator of the universe, using the weakness of his flesh, it was calculated. It was remarkably powerful. This is why when you begin to hear things. All kinds of campaigns going on. Listen, these campaigns that are going on, even if they're not calculated by the people that do them, they're being calculated by Satan. Think about this. Look at something as innocent as a worship song where somebody says, oh, listen, God's love, the reckless love of God. Oh, it sounds wonderful. It sounds beautiful. The problem with an evil statement like that is the love of God was never reckless. The love of That's God right. never has been reckless. When you use That's terms right. like the reckless love of God, <laughs> yeah. you are getting people to begin to think 
that Satan himself, since he is one that was created by the father of, uh, by the, the true father, the father of truth, the father of lies was, cre was literally created by the heavenly father. When you begin to look at the evils that Satan does and you stop looking at the creator of the universe as one who carries a mechanism of calculation, you begin to look at the evil one as somebody who creates something by chance. And the reality of it is, he is calculated in every way possible, but our Father in Heaven is even more calculated. God's love is not reckless, it's calculated. Just like when yeah. you talk about the crucifixion of Christ on the cross, you are nuts if you study the Bible and you actually think that Christ went to the cross willingly. That is an insane statement to make. He did not go to the cross willingly. He said, not my will be done, but thy will be done. He said, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. Christ did not go to the cross willingly. He went to the cross obediently. That is a function of calculated love, not reckless love. And the thing that people have to understand is God calls us to walk in calculation, and that calculation must be inspired by him and not the father of lies. Because if your calculation is inspired by the father of lies, then your deception mechanism will increase at levels that are exponential beyond any heuristic that you can imagine. And the wake of destruction that that leaves is far greater than anything you can see ever behind you. It's a very serious issue that a lot of people don't consider. It's all calculated. It was there from the beginning. And if you study the Bible thoroughly, and if you know the word of God like the back of your hand, I can promise you this, you will identify satanic patterns in every angle of politics in the United States of America, including and especially in many cases, Republican politics. It's yep. there. The Satanism is there. You can see it. It's blatant and it's open. And it's for everybody to see, but it's hiding in plain sight because people have allowed themselves to be given to that idea and to that mindset. And it's wicked and it's terrible. I'll give you one example of this, right? We have a guy that goes to our church typically once or two times a month, sometimes three times a month. He's a wonderful man. He lives in South, 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 South California, right? He used to go to a church, a Calvary Chapel, by the way. He was a board member there where he actually made flyers during the time that Prop 1 was a thing, right? When it was uh, on the ballots. He made flyers and he started oh. handing them out to people. Here you go. Here you, you go. Take you the mentioned flyer. this to me. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. Keep going. And the Keep pastor going. approached him and said, don't hand these flyers out. You wow. need to get my permission before you do it. He says, okay, well, here's the, here's the flyer. Can I hand it out? He says, no, I don't want you to do it. That man needs to quit the ministry. And he needs to quit the ministry because the judgment that that man is going to face for actually creating a condition that blocks the truth of, of, of what is really going on from happening, it is men like that wow. pastor right there that caused it to be constitutional to murder babies. That's right. That's he right. He doesn't well, belong James, in the ministry. Th that compare that pastor to Pastor Jack Hibbs, who at oh, the yeah. first— There's no the comparison. First, the first Turning Point USA Faith— pastor summit in san diego last year jack said something that ripped my face off and um i asked him about it later on instagram live and he, he said that he had not planned it he said it just came out and it was the, the holy spirit but he said if you pastor cannot speak and preach against prop one as california prepares to codify yep. abortion through point of birth into the state constitution and here's what he said you have surrendered your pulpit that's right. You have walked away from your authority 
and your mantle has fallen off. Hundred <laughs> uh, percent. What what you just talked about in your powerful uh, uh, segment just there now, brother, it, it is if I can summarize it something like this: um, the lenses that you put on through which you see the world um, is the lenses through which you will always see the world. That's right. The, 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 the perspective and the liturgy that you accept is the kind of um, formative um, spiritual discipline that will turn you into a coward or a courageous man. Like, so 100%. here's what I mean by this. Spurgeon said it like this. This is so good. Spurgeon said, he that perverts truth shall soon be incapable of knowing the true from the false. Yep. If you persist in wearing glasses that distort, everything will be distorted to you. <laughs> That's right. And, and, both, and, let me, and let me say this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this very, very clear. When I call these men cowards, that is me thinking the best of them. When I actually refer to these pastors as being cowards, that is me actually trying to put them in the best light possible. Because by calling them a coward, I am basically carrying the general assumption that they are fearful of reprise from making a decision about these issues. That their fear of, uh, of any type of uh, uh, you know, backlash is what motivates them. But most of them, that's not the case. Most of them are calculated in what they do, and they are literally get ready for this. They are making money off the death of the future. And that is exactly what they're doing. So when I call them cowards, I'm actually being nice. And I want to make a statement about Jack Hibbs that a lot of people don't give Jack Hibbs credit for. And I talked about this earlier, by the way. Earlier this week, I had made mention of this. It's funny how some of these yahoos will actually say that it's easy for Jack to do what Jack is doing because, well, you know, Jack has a big church and they didn't really give him a, a hard time when everything happened in COVID. Well, let me just say yeah, this. Yeah. I'll tell yeah. you why that's the case. I'll tell you yeah. why that kind of thing happened. Because before you were born, Seth, <laughs> Jack right. was fighting like literal hell all over the place, standing up in all kinds of arenas in the political environment. Right. People don't know this. A lot of people yeah. don't know that when Prop 8 was introduced to the state of California and eventually passed, Jack Hibbs was the author of that. Jack mm. Hibbs was the one. He won't tell you that. Most people will tell you. I know that. And I know that for a lot. Of, Jack's a very dear friend of mine. And I can just tell you this right now. He was able to do this. And this was not a shock to him. And this was not hard for him. And this was not like for him right, because right. he's been in the fight the whole time. He's right. been he the, was you exercising know why? dominion. And you want to know why, bro? And I'm, yeah. I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Because this is very important. And this is an aspect that I wish – so many of our friends who are with us in the turning point world. And so this is one point that Charlie is beginning to get. And I'm loving it about Charlie because he, I'm telling you, he's another amazing one of a kind person, but here's the thing. This is one of the reasons why Jack gets it and is never going to lose sight of it. Here's the reason why he's a Bible prophecy teacher too. Right. And if you know Bible prophecy, you are going to understand where things are going. And you are going to understand. Jesus said that in the last days, it will be as the days of Lot and as the days of Noah. And you correctly analyze Lot. The days of Noah speak of the wickedness of man. The days of Lot speak of the wickedness of the spiritual leader. And the funny thing about all of this that we're talking well, say about Say that again. Say the, that days, again. the days of Noah speak of the wickedness of man, which we are in. And the days of Lot speak of the wickedness of the spiritual leader. 
It's a, it's, a, it's a very simple thing because the whole thing of Lot saying take my daughters and all that, it goes further than that. One of the biggest aspects of what happened to Lot is something that a lot of people don't ever, <laughs> ever analyze or thinking about. And when Lot, when Lot walked away and his wife turned into a pillar of salt and all that stuff, when he saw all the atrocities that happened to the city, you know what Lot wanted to do? He wanted to go into a cave. Not to hide. He wanted to go into a cave because the cave overlooked the city. And he wanted to turn around and look at the city and cast his eyes upon the destruction that had been there. He was still attached to the city even after the judgment had taken place. And the picture that that draws is one that is so absolutely devastating. The thing that people don't get about men like Jack Hibbs is Jack Hibbs actually contends for the truth and fights the way he does because he knows Christ can come at any moment. And if you know Christ can come at any moment, you are going to fight like everything in you. Why? Because you don't want to get caught not standing up for righteousness. And that's wow. the reality of the matter. And if we knew this and we understood it, we would not think the way that we, th these men would not think that the way that they think, but they have walked away from their responsibilities. Unfortunately, some of the most laziest men I have ever seen are men that stand behind pulpits. And it's sad wow. and it's true. And that's why Jack is being used so much by God. And that's why he's such a good example. It has he, he has chosen to listen to the voice of God in doing what he's doing, and these, these continual wow. cowards and demonically inspired monsters that choose to come against him and cast dispersion upon him are being inspired by the father of lies, the devil. And that's the reality of it. Just look at it for what it is. That's why Calvary Chapel Chino Hills grew. That's why all of those things are happening, because the work That's was right. being done just like the leftists who started That's their right. work 70, 80, 90 years ago. No, sorry. it start, That work started thousands of years ago in the garden, right? But just like the devil has always been at it, Jack, who has changed uh, a changed life by God, started. Think about this for a second. Do you understand that the enemy made a concerted effort to destroy the life of Moses, knowing full well that likely Moses would be the one that God would use to take the people out of bondage? Literally, Moses could have been an attempt. He was. He was an attempt at abortion. They attempted uh -oh. to kill that man, and God saved that man by using some very bold and brave people in order to do it. And I don't know if a lot of people know this about Jack, but he's been public about this. But he is the result of an abortion that was, an that was attempted upon him that failed. And yep. I'm going to say this. I told this to That's Jack. Right. I told this to Jack 20 years ago. I said, Jack, you need to open your eyes to recognize something. The devil tried to kill you before you were even born. And it's because he recognized the call that God had, had placed upon your life. Wow. And people don't realize that. I mean, imagine wow. if I'm the enemy, I'd want to kill Jack. Heck yeah, I'd want him. I'd want him to be dead before he was even born. That's right. Powerful, people don't. Bro. People don't recognize that. It's crazy. So, 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 Pastor James, almost, almost providentially, perhaps, Lot's wife becomes in death what he should have been in life—a pillar Brilliant. of salt. Gnarly. Brilliant, man. dude. That's a brilliant statement. I've never heard that before. That's a brilliant statement. Speaking of providence, as we as we wrap up, brother, um, Roe versus Wade yep. was a providential wink Amen. from the Lord. You know, they say providence is when God winks, <laughs> James, uh, right? Like the, the Jesus says, it's a wicked generation that seeks for signs and wonders. Um, 
but but one Catholic priest, George Rutler, says it's a stupid generation that ignores signs and wonders. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like, bro, we don't have to search for them. But if they slap you in the face, like it's OK to just give credit to Providence. And, and so um, t- tomorrow, Saturday, June 24th, marks the one year anniversary of, of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, something that we were told would never happen. We've just gone and you have just gone into biblical and theological depths that very few have or have ever heard before. And what a blessing to spend time with you, brother. Um, but um, this is a Kairos moment that we're living in. Um, when Roe v. Wade was overturned a year ago, brother, it got overturned. <laughs> Ready for this? On the the church of the date in the church calendar uh, that celebrates the nativity of Saint John the Baptist. Um, and we got we got to admit, John, uh, James, we have to admit. Okay, let's admit as evangelicals, we suck at the church calendar. And most yes. Protestants do not That's know or are aware of the Christian festivals. They have no idea. They're more That's aware right. of Pride Month and the liturgical feasts of the religion of humanism yep. than That's they right. are of the liturgical feasts of their Lord and Savior. That's so right. the day Roe v. Wade gets overturned, guys, of all the 365 days that it could have gotten overturned, okay, follow me on this. It gets overturned on the day that the church celebrates two fetuses. Uh, celebrating each other's humanity. The, the Nativity of St. John the Baptist is when we celebrate um, Mary going to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Um, and when she does, the prenatal John the Baptist starts doing backflips in the uterus. Uh, and uh, to recognizing the humanity and divinity of his savior, who is still a fetus, who is still an unborn baby at that moment, in a different womb in the same room. I mean, come on. The one a, day that the church celebrates two unborn human beings is the day Roe v. Wade gets overturned. And yeah. then this there was a planetary alignment. Now, look, I'm not telling your reader, your listeners to go read the stars or anything weird, but there was a planetary alignment of five planets lined up in the night sky, visible to stargazers by the naked eye. The evening Roe v. Wade got overturned. It got overturned in the morning. So, you know, 10 hours later, there's a freaking planetary alignment yep. and then this photo goes viral of, of of the planetary alignment taken by an astrophotographer it was gorgeous you can see all five planets like wow what a beautiful photo and it goes viral all across the interwebs around the whole world this was the photo everyone was sharing the name of the photographer who took the viral photo of the planetary alignment on the day that roby way got overturned his name was wright dobbs D-O-B-B-S, Dobbs, <laughs> which is the name of the Supreme Court decision, James, that yeah. overturned Roe versus Wade, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. And his first name is Wright. Like, they were right in the ruling of Dobbs that's, 10 that's hours funny. earlier. Like, yeah. come on, man. You can't make this stuff up. Alexander Pope once said, all nature is but art unknown to thee. All chance, direction which thou canst not see. God still intervenes in the affairs of men, brother. And the line of the tribe of Judah is on the move. People don't generally know that they're living in a Kairos moment when it's a Kairos moment, right, James? It's usually their grandchildren that curse their names for not realizing that they were living in a Kairos moment. It takes a son and daughter of Issachar to recognize the Kairos moment that they're living in, that there's something about the time and space they're living in that is more significant and heavy and weighty than other moments in human history. We're living in one of those again right now as we're talking, brother. And it's time for the blood-bought bride of Christ to reassert her prophetic role 
to condemn evil, to stand for righteousness, and to give God a reason to show America mercy. And this is why I launched the White Rose Resistance right after the overturning of Roe versus Wade, to prick the collective conscience of the culture and awaken the church to action. And you've heard me told the story in other places. I'll just share one quote of Sophie Scholl, a 21-year-old young woman, the only female member of the anti-Nazi White Rose Resistance, who got her head chopped off on February um, 20, uh, February 22nd, uh, 1943, um, for distributing anti-Nazi leaflets all around Germany and trying to wake up the church. Um, by the way, the day that Hans and Sophie, brother and sister, were executed, uh, brother James, um, they missed a meeting they had that afternoon in Munich, a meeting, yeah. a meeting they would never make. And that meeting was with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah. Um, and so this 21-year-old, uh, at the end of her life, because her cellmate survived the war, and so she was able to tell Hans and Sophie's parents every final moment of their daughter's life. And, and Sophie understood. At 21, James, within hours of her death, she understood what Andy Stanley, Rick Warren, Tim Keller, Ed Stetzer, Brian Broderson, Lecrae, and Phil Vischer seemed to have completely lost. Uh, and here's what she said. She was ans asking the question that I think a lot of us are asking today, James, which is, how did we get here? Yes. What the hell happened? And what, what should I do as a Christian in this moment? And, and I think Sophie was thinking that when she realized she was going to the guillotine at 21 years old. And here's what she said. The real damage... The real damage is caused by all of those millions out there that just want to survive. Yes. The honest men and women, the honest men and women that just want to be left in peace. Those who don't want their little lives disturbed by anything bigger than themselves. Those with no sides and no causes. Those who won't take measure of their own strength. That's right. For fear of antagonizing their own weaknesses. Those who don't like to make waves or enemies. Those for whom freedom, honor, truth, and principle is just literature. Those who live small, die small. It, it, was, it was the reductionistic approach to life. Because church, if you keep it small, you'll keep it under control. That's right. If you don't make any noise, the boogeyman won't find you. Yep. But it was all an illusion because they die too. Those people who roll up their who roll up their spirits into tiny little balls so as to be safe. Safe from what? Life is always on the edge of death. Narrow okay. streets lead to the same place as wide avenues and a little candle burns itself out just like the flaming torch does i choose my own way to burn uh brother who who speaks like that at 21 you, dude, it's awesome. i mean that sounds like chesterton or churchill uh, but you know what the answer to that, brother? That's a young woman with the lion of the tribe of Judah yeah. roaring inside Inspired with her. the spirit of God. That's right. And Amen. we are facing the same battle today. So we at the White Rose Resistance, we are rebuilding Christian resistance against our culture of death, against our silent but far more deadly holocaust of abortion, to build the army of Christian resistance that Hans and Sophie dreamed of but never lived to see realized. Because we are understanding and recognizing now what Edmund Burke famously said, evil is powerless. Or what Reagan said, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. And as Edmund Burke said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Or, or to quote Albert Einstein, the world is in greater peril 
from those who tolerate or encourage evil than from those who actually commit it. And so we're raising up a, a new generation in the church of godly men and women who are like Gideon and Judges 6, and they say, enough. I'm walking out of the cave I've been hiding in to tear down the high places once again. So thanks to people like you, James, we're growing quickly. God has been faithful and we're building an organization, not so that donors feel good about the work they let us do, but to equip and pour into and disciple our donors to go be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be the blood-bought bride of Christ against these false myths and sacraments of Satan in our day and age today. So Brother, love you. Thank you for letting me share my heart on this one-year anniversary of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And may we not kick the can down the road for our children and grandchildren to tear down the evils that we were too apathetic and lazy to get off the bench and contend for our king. Yeah, amen, bro. And uh, it's kind of interesting, kind of an interesting closing thought to think about here. And that's the fact that with the day that Roe v. Wade was actually decided, and by the way, there's some interesting calendar things to talk about when Casey was decided, which of course was also overturned. And Casey, in my opinion, from the legal analysis perspective, carries the most significance with respect to the establishment of stare decisis and the lies that right. they tell over there in terms of legal theory. But um, on the day that Roe v. Wade was actually decided and the, and the, the opinion was published, which was just complete garbage— the most perhaps arguably racist president that we may have ever had in recent times who was um, – uh, he was he died that day. And that's what actually took the media's attention away from the insanity of the case that was actually ro- ruled in Roe v. Wade. And it's so funny how all of this is calculated. None yeah. of this is a coincidence. And if the well. enemy works and walks with calculation like that, imagine – how important it is to stay close and really truly understanding the wisdom of God. And by the way, I want to respond to the planetary alignment issue that you're talking (laughs) about. I've had a lot of people say, what a kooky thing, and you're following the stars and all that. Here's something that isn't so kooky when you analyze the Bible. Do you realize that all of the Jewish feasts, every single one of them, are according to the lunar calendar that exists as we understand it. Science literally wow. lines up with the feasts that we read about in the Bible. So it's it's funny to think about this. God had intent. He had purpose. He had calculation in establishing every beautiful detail. For those that doubt and those are looking for the truth, they find it established in that. White Rose wow. Resistance, you guys need to support Seth if you can. It would be a blessing. Perhaps the greatest way you can support him is to engage in this culture war because God is calling us to do it. We are going to leave information about how to get a hold of Seth and be a part of supporting him uh, right here. We want to get you guys to do that. Seth, I want to pray for you. And um, you just, if you, look, it's really easy. If you ever wonder, you don't have to worry about white rose resistance. If you forget the order of those words, just go to sethgruber.com. It's the easiest way to go there. He'll direct you right over there. Please do me a favor and subscribe to his YouTube channel. Let's watch that YouTube channel grow. I'd like Seth to come back to me and say it grew by thousands over the next few days. That would be really great. Um, Make sure you do that and subscribe to him also on Rumble uh, for obvious reasons. So um, with that, let's pray for Seth. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness. We thank you for an incredible time of discussion, Lord. 
where truth is being told, we, we pray, God, that in Jesus' name, you would draw us closer to you, understanding the obligation set forth with us, Lord, as believers, to stand up for righteousness and truth. Help us to do that, Lord. We love you, Father. Be with Seth, Lord. Protect him. Protect his beautiful bride, his children. Go before him, Lord, his ministry, the work in front of him and behind him, Lord. Put your hand upon him. Bless him spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, financially. Bless every aspect of the work, Lord, um, that is being done, Lord, with this man. And we just love you, Father. We thank you. We pray that you would go before us now. Help us to seek you with a whole heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Amen. guys, a uh, quick little programming note here. Uh, in a half hour, we'll do our 1 o'clock release or 20 minutes of our daily video. I am going to actually address uh, Roe v. Wade. I think it's really important that you watch this video. It's very heartfelt, and I think it's one of those eye-opening moments. I did it at the last minute in the studio last night. I think it was God-ordained, so make sure you take a look at that. Also, guys, share this video with other people. Please get it out to them. We think this is an important uh, episode, and the enemy is working hard to keep this message from getting out to people. Please consider, again, supporting Seth. We love you guys. God bless you. Seth, any... I said God bless you. What is wrong with me? God bless you. <laughs> Seth, you have any... Uh, that's sleep deprivation. That's what that looks like. Any final words, bro, before we, uh, we carry on? Yeah, I'll just send everyone out and say goodbye with one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. He said, Christianity is a fighting, re fighting religion mm -hmm. because it thinks that God made the world, that space and time and heat and cold and all the colors and tastes and all the animals and vegetables are things that God made up out of his head as a man makes up a story. But it also thinks that a great many things have gone wrong with the world God made and that God insists and insists very loudly on our putting them right again. Mm. Yeah. Profound. C.S. Lewis has always been one of my favorite authors, by the way. Amen. If you can get a hold of his book of essays, that that's like, yeah. Anyway, it's better than some of the more popular books that everybody talk about, you know, but anyway, oh, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's brilliant. He, his understanding, by the way, of spiritual warfare is profound. Yep. Yep. You know, his, his writings were amazing. So thank you, brother. Bro, Bless thank you. you.